Hi, listeners. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by The Draw Shop, and we've got something exciting for you. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been asked what you do? We all get asked this, right? Have you then answered and then got the response of totally glazed over eyes or just the look of someone politely smiling but definitely not caring? It sucks. I know. I've totally been there on both sides, actually. That's why my team and I at The Draw Shop now offer a service to help you perfect your elevator pitch so that people immediately understand how you can make their life better and so that you can use this anywhere in your marketing. It's the single statement that compels your prospects to take action right away. Here's what happens. You meet with an expert copywriter on our team to define the problem you solve, how you solve it, and the transformation your customers experience after working with you. From there, we'll turn that into a short and sweet elevator pitch just for you and create a compelling one-page visual story to help the world better understand your business and how you can help them. For a special limited time offer, we are offering you this service for one-third the usual price, valued at $1,500. Yep, 70% off. Again, this will only be available for a limited time, and we've already seen incredible results with our clients changing this one single statement. So to get your word perfect pitch today, head to www.thedrawshop.com forward slash elevator pitch now. That's www.thedrawshop.com forward slash elevator pitch. Okay, let's get into today's episode. And so when you have a label, you see that everywhere and you don't see all of the other stuff, even though it does exist. And so, for example, like if someone thinks that they're depressed, they're not going to see all the times when they're actually feeling great, which is a lot of times during a day. And so what labels do is they create tunnel vision. That's just the way you see the world. Like Stephen Covey said, we see the world not as it is, as we are. You know, we see it as we are. Oh, my listeners. Oh, my backstage business family, you are in for some fascinating, can't turn this off conversation. It's so good. It's just so good. I have Dr. Benjamin Hardy on today. You probably already know who he is, but if you don't, he's an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. He writes blogs that have been read over a hundred million people. His blogs are featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Big Thing, so, so many, so many platforms. I have followed him on Medium for a long time. He was the number one writer on Medium. He's a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today. This part's really cool. He and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children through the foster system in February of 2018. And one month later, Lauren became pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. They live in Orlando and he his family just keeps growing. It's awesome. He's such an incredible guy. But here's, here's what's really cool about today's interview. We're talking about his book that's coming out, which is called Personality Isn't permanent. And this this book, when I f- was first given this book and I got it before it actually went out to the public, I was just blown away, just totally blown away. And I hadn't even read it. I hadn't even read it yet. I still haven't finished reading the book. I am just blown away by what it's about and especially by our conversation today. So let me tell you a little bit about the book 
and then we're just going to dive right into the interview. So Personality Isn't Permanent is a book that debunks the pervasive myths of personality that have captured pop culture. I don't know if you're like me as an entrepreneur or business owner and you network with different entrepreneurs and and they tell you, you have to do these personality tests in order to know what your personality is, where where you thrive, where other people in your business are going to thrive. And I I know you've heard of Myers-Briggs. I know you've heard of Enneagram. I've heard of these and I have actually implemented them and I've even implemented them into my teams. And I don't know that it's it's been this this great success because I feel like I attribute to other things that actually have led to success of of different hires and different collaborations. And so when I found out what this book was about, I had this sense of relief because here's what the book is about. It's it's about tests like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and showing how they're not only psychologically destructive but they're actually not any more scientific than a horoscope. So this book provides science-based strategies for reframing past memories, becoming the scribe of your identity narrative, upgrading your subconscious, and redesigning your environment. So when you start to learn the truth of personality, then those desired changes that you have will be really dramatic and and like you'll really start to see radical changes. So when you don't, then personality becomes something that you seek to discover rather than create. Now, some of this might be going over your head and you're like, what on earth is Summer talking about right now? When you listen to this conversation that we have, I think you're just going to be blown away. I was blown away. You're going to hear me get blown away. Just so much good stuff. We're going to talk about these actual tests and, and how they can actually be harmful and how they're not really scientific. We're also going to talk about some other destructive societal myths of personality. We're going to talk about understanding our own personality, who we were a year ago, who we were 10 years ago, who we were a month ago, and who we are today and why it's important to understand the the differences. We're going to talk about labels and how you know labeling ourselves can actually negatively impact people's perception and and identity and and your goals. And we're going to talk about trauma as well and how that impacts your your personality. And then, you know, one of the best things that we're going to talk about is how how we can make that radical change in our life. So much good stuff here. I'm so excited. He mentions a ton of really good books, so know that in the show notes, we will have all of those listed. We'll also have listed where you can get this book and how to get any more information on on Dr. Ben Hardy that you would like. So, so good. You really have to listen till the end. I know that I will say that, but like, it's just so good, especially for someone like me who really has, has embraced this type of thing. And now I'm hearing something totally different. So enjoy. I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. First of all, great friend, Genius Network. We have, we go back a little bit, a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. And I'm just so excited to have you here and especially to talk about what we're going to talk about today. 
Totally. I, I'm actually a big fan of yours. So I'm happy to be on this podcast with you and hang out with you. Super good to be with you. Awesome. Yeah. I'm like obsessed with every blog that you put out. I think your articles were probably the very first that I started reading that int- that I learned about Medium actually as, as this great platform. And it's because I started reading your articles there and I was like, who, what's this Medium? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was an, it is still a big platform. I don't use it as much anymore, but it's like, it was a really cool ride for quite a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Before we dive into all of these questions, I feel like we're going to be uh, debunking some myths here, but before we dive in, mm-hmm. can you give us a little bit, you know, that high level background of how you became so into psychology and, and all the things that you write about, like what brought you to this? Yes. So many different things, but kind of the high notes. So like my parents divorced when I was 11 and that was like really interesting because it was almost immediate after the divorce that my father became like a very intense drug addict. And, you know, he was just in a depressed state. And my father was like very much like still is by the way, best friend. He's gone through a lot of change, but you know, since then he's not that guy anymore, but through my teen years, he was, he really went through a funk. Basically I was the oldest of three, had zero stability and just like divorce is crazy enough for like an 11 year old kid, but you know, throw on top of that, like your dad goes through this crazy cycle and kind of just, you kind of have to like abandon ship because it's so bad. And so that was, that was really interesting for me. I obviously like wasn't thinking I'd be a psychologist through that, but that obviously laid a lot of the seeds basically after, so I barely ended up graduating high school and was living at my cousin's house, playing video games, basically world of Warcraft all day, just super unhappy with where things were at, just not satisfied by life and kind of looking around and not seeing examples of a good life that I wanted to live around me. And what I ended up doing, so my younger brother, who's two years younger than me, he ended up going through the military. He ended up leaving and joining the Marines. I actually ended up serving a church mission, which okay. was was pivotal for me. I ended that like, I've always kind of had like faith at my roots. Like even like I didn't go to church for a long time, but like faith has always been kind of like a root thing for me. I've just like really gotten a lot out of it. So that was transformational because what I saw was, is that like, I changed my role. I changed my environment. Like I could change myself. And like, I really built a lot of confidence, like really learned how to journal throughout that experience, read tons of books, got a lot of mentoring, let go of the past, came back home and was shocked that like, I had changed so much, but no one in my world could see that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. my high school friends were still talking to me the same way. Like, and I was just, I, I just realized I And it was actually on that experience that I realized I was going to study psychology. Like I love studying like Stephen Covey and like, I don't know. I just was like, I want to learn psychology. Uh, And so that's kind of what led to it really was that experience. And then just over time, wanting to understand it more and more. It's awesome. I love it. So you've been on this current journey or you you've written this book and I'm, I'm just going right into it because it, it totally, when I first saw that you were writing this book and when it came out, I was just like, wait a minute, but I've been told by all these other people that I should be doing these personality tests. Oh gosh. I mean, like everybody has pitched, especially as an entrepreneur, you know, people say you've got to hire based on this. You've got to understand this about yourself, about your partner. And, and I can't tell you how many times I have conversations with people And if I say, no, I haven't done the Enneagram, they're just like, what, you know, you're missing out. It's going to change everything. And so 
I'm so dying to, you know, talk to you <laughs> and have our listeners here. Like, please tell us why, you know, why are personality tests like this actually, or why you say that they're unscientific and harmful? Yes, it's an interesting subject. Let me first start by saying that personality tests are $2 billion industry. And in 2019, Facebook had to ban personality tests because almost 90 million people gave private information you know, into the internet to get an access to a personality test, a lot of which were fraudulent people, like literally identity thieves. And so people obviously love personality tests, you know, like we really enjoy these things. They're very much like a a pop culture thing, but let me, let me explain kind of, so, so I will start by saying I did not write this book because of this, but this is obviously a crucial understanding as far as why, why these types of personality tests are, first off, they're not scientific, scientific second off they're very harmful as far as for your mindset but i will also explain like if we want to why why people love them so much but as far so when i was getting my phd and my phd is in organizational psychology one of the big things that we do is is we we develop tests like we build measures and like you know whether it be a test on this or that like and, and in order to create so that that aspect of psychology is called psychometrics but basically in order for a test to be like, you know, actually scientific, it's got like, there's a lot of checks and balances, like it's got to be reliable. It's consistent, like you get the same thing, you, you, you keep finding the same thing of what you're looking for. And like another one's got to be re- like, it's got to be valid, which means it's actually studying what it says it's studying. One, th- when I, one thing I would recommend to any readers who actually want to like see more of this, and by the way, there's a lot of, lot of incoming information coming on this as far as like personality tests in the workplace, like do they actually help? Like Adam Grant, who wrote a lot of great books, he's a, he's a psychologist at Penn, University of Pennsylvania. He's written a lot of great stuff on Myers and Briggs and, and specifically why these types of tests are not scientific. One of the reasons though is, is that they obviously categorize people as types. And from a psychological perspective, there's no such thing as a personality type. Like there is no white or red or blue. Like that's a really surface level way of looking at people. And really what it does is it ignores context. Like from a, from a psychological perspective, context is more important than content. I'll give an example. Like in an email I recently sent, I used the word viral. Like I was talking about an article, I think. And you know, I got a few emails back, people saying like, you really shouldn't use that word right now. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. Like if I had <laughs> used that word three weeks ago, it wouldn't have mattered, but context determines the meaning of content. And so right. that's an example of it. But with personality tests, you, you get a score and then you assume that that's always true. You know, whether it be the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or whatnot, you assume that the score is just who you are. And that that's always true when it's not always true in different contexts, you're actually quite different in, you know, in some situations you're going to be one way in some situations and around other people, you're going to be a different way. You know, when the coronavirus occurs, things are going to change a little bit for society and mm-hmm. even for potentially you, but these tests ignore that fact. And so what happens is, and so there's a really good psychologist. Her name is Ellen Langer. She's at Harvard. She has studied mindfulness for like the last 40 years two books I think you would love, by the way, one is Mindfulness by her. The other one is Counterclockwise. Okay. Um, they're just so beautiful, such good books. Like they really kind of get you. But one of the things that she has studied intensely is the idea of categorizing or labeling people and about how when you, when you have a label, it leads you to being mindless. Like you're mindless to all of the times the label isn't true. Like, so like, for example, if a person is, de- you know, views themselves as depressed, they're going to not notice 
because in psychology, we have what's called selective attention. It's like you, you, you only notice what's meaningful to you. So like when you buy a car, you start to see that car everywhere, right? Yep. You don't notice all of the other cars, even though those cars all exist, you just don't see them. And so when you have a label, you see that everywhere and you don't see all of the other stuff, even though it does exist. And so, for example, like if someone thinks that they're depressed, they're not going to see all the times when they're actually feeling great, which is a lot of times during a day. And so what labels do is they create tunnel vision. That's just the way you see the world. Like Stephen Covey said, we see the world not as it is, as we are, you know, we see it as we are. Right. And so, so one last thing is just that the big problem, one big problem with all of this is that people think that your personality is innate and that it's unchanging and that as a result, it must be discovered. And so because it must be discovered, this is why personality tests are kind of a fast food way of discovering your personality. <laughs> and so that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> it really is. It's a fast food way to get an identity. And we really want an identity because it's, it's our way of explaining ourselves. And so you get this identity and you get this label, you've discovered yourself now, and now you can finally choose the goals and the relationships and the life that support your personality. So what most people are trying to do is they're trying to find themselves. And once they've discovered their personality, they can then set goals and get in relationships and build their life around that personality. It seems to make sense, but like, it's obviously a very limiting way of looking at life rather than using your personality as the basis for the goals you set. Like it's a lot better to use your goals as the basis for the personality you create. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. And as you're, as you're saying all this, I'm just reflecting in my own life when, cause I have done these tests. Right. And so people are like, Oh, you're a, you know, or if you think about Kobe, I'm a quick, you know, somebody's a quick start. I'm a follow through. I'm a this. And I look back and I'm like, I've been different things though for Different, different projects roles, or different, different yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And so it's, it has always been a little bit, I'm like, I relate to all of them. I relate to how it feels with all of those different characteristics, because I do think that at different times, you know, depending on how meaningful something is to you, something else or meaningless, you know, you're going to have a different type of personality in how you handle that. Yeah. I mean, one of the bi biggest predictors of personality is role, like the role you're in. Like if you're, go if you're going through a phase where you're a mom or you're going through a phase where you're a college student or if you're in a particular job with a certain role. So like, yeah, like your role in large part, you know, predicts your personality in that moment. One other interesting thing about these tests though is, you know, on the, on the reliability side, like they're not reliable. Like basically what, what the research shows is that like the longer the period of time between you between a test you took. So like, let's just say you took the Enneagram or Myers and Briggs 10 years ago, or even five or three, you would probably get a very different score if you took that test today. And, and so like, you're not going to get the same score. And what they, what they basically show is that the longer the gap between tests, the less correlated they are. Like if it's, if it's beyond like 10 or so years, like the scores aren't even going to be the same, but also another reason why they're not like reliable is because if you take the same test in two different conditions, you'll also probably get a different score. So like what the research shows is like, like one study, they broke two groups into, you know, they broke like the population into two groups. One of the groups, they took the same personality test twice, like, like once, and then like again, a few weeks later with the same person administrating the tests. And two weeks isn't a very long time. Like your self image is probably not going to change that much in two weeks. But when the same person gives you the test in those situations, like the tests were pretty similar, but the second group, 
they took the same test, same time interval, but just had a different person administrating the test both times. And in those situations, the tests were totally non-correlated, <laughs> like just by having two different test administrators. And so like, you have to think wow. like, because you're the person answering the test, like there's so many things that would influence how you would, how you would answer whatever the questions are in a given moment, you may be in a totally like bad mood or like you may not, you know, like you may be trying to get a job or like, you know, like, like there's so many different reasons influencing why you score a test in a specific way. But, but also, and like, I think this will be something like that you may think is interesting. Like think about yourself 10 years ago. Yeah. Do you think you're the exact same person you were 10 years ago? No. (laughs) I would hope not. <laughs> so, so there's a quote from Elaine Day Button, the British philosopher, but he said, "Anyone who's not embarrassed by who they were 12 months ago didn't learn enough." Yes, which is kind of funny. But, but like, really think about it for a second. Like, 10 years ago, which is quite a bit, even five years ago. Like, what, what would you say? Like, like, where were you? Like, you know, like you were in a totally different situation, right? Like, yeah, you had kids. You were like your kids were younger, but like you were also up to different things. Like, you had so different, different goals, different priorities, different situation. Like. Instagram didn't even exist. You know, like there were just so many different things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. So many different things. I mean, I can say that even, you know, just two months ago or. (laughs) No, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So, so think about that for a sec. Like if you're not the exact same person that you were 10 years ago, like obviously like, and what's funny is if you ask anyone that almost everyone will say, no way, (laughs) you know, I'm not the same person as I was 10 years ago, but like they still think that their personality is kind of consistent but like, so, so Daniel Gilbert, he's a Harvard psychologist and like, he's, he's the one who's, so there's a really good Ted talk by it, by the way, it's called the psychology of your future self for anyone who wants to listen to that. It's like a seven minute Ted talk, but Ooh. it explains how personality changes over time. But he asks people that question, you know, are you the same person? Like, do you have the same preferences, the same priorities? Like, do you tolerate the same things you used to? Most people are like, no way. Like I used to like deal with stuff that I would never deal with anymore. Or like, I used to like be interested in stuff I'm no longer interested in, but then he asks them like, well, what about your future self? Like in 10 years from now, do you think you're going to change as much as you did in the last 10 years? And most people actually say no. Like, I don't know if you would say that because I know you're a very growth oriented person. But the reason people say no is because Gilbert says, he says two things that are really cool. He says, first off, human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. Mm-hmm. And then he says, people don't, you know, people don't think they're going to change because it's a lot easier to remember the past than to imagine the future. And so people just don't, people don't imagine a future self, you know, and if you think about it, if you're not imagining a future self, and if you're not clarifying your future identity, then it's literally impossible to live intentionally today. I absolutely a thousand percent agree. I'm always, I mean, part of my like morning, you know, in the mornings when I get up is going through like this, imagining the future self and like, you know, where am I? And also celebrating, you know, that I'm not that person a year ago or 10 years ago or two months ago. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And like, you're just so like, you're not the same person you used to be. So like from like an identity perspective, and like, there's a lot of really cool research from Daniel Gilbert. And also I'd recommend Hal Hirschfeld, you know, so like he's, he's a, he's a psychologist at UCLA, but like basically what the psychologists these days now say is, is like, first off, your former self is not the same person you are today. Like you and I, I think both agree with that. Yes. (laughs) Um, 
but also your future self is not the same person you are today. Like your future self is going to have a different situation. They're going to be dealing with different things. They're going to have a different perspective. They're going to have different goals, different priorities. Hopefully they have a more mature perspective. At least I'm talking to myself here. Like they're going to be in a different situation and they're not you. Like they're going to deal with things differently than you would deal with them. And like, that's part of learning. And so like a big part of that, if you know that, and obviously then if you then begin in being intentional about who that person is and working towards it, what it allows you to do today is first off, you don't have to be so overly convinced of your current self. Like you wouldn't say in a convinced state, I'm an introvert because like, you know, like your future self may just not be, especially if you strive to, you know, and I'm not saying introversion is bad, but it's like, you don't have to overly own your current identity or your current view because Mm -hmm. your current perspective is very limited. Like you see the world as you are not as it is. And so like, why are you so it allows you to hold your identity a little bit more loosely and be a lot more flexible towards learning and growth why do you think some people though want to own that like why is it like oh they're first to call out i'm an introvert or i'm a closet (laughs) extrovert or i'm i'm a quick start if you're talking about whatever it is why are they so like (laughs) wanting to own it well so identity is really based on the stories we tell and it is a story. Like it's a, it's a really easy way to explain yourself. Like Mm -hmm. if you don't have a way to explain yourself simply, then like you don't feel like you know who you are. And so like these tests do give you a sense of identity. They give you a label, they give you a box to fit in, and then you can use that story to explain yourself to others. Also, you know, these, so these people, you know, who are shouting these things out, they're very much speaking to their past. And if, you know, if they want, they're speaking to their desired future, but they're speaking to what they feel like they've been like in the past, mostly based on selective attention, you know, based on what we were talking about before the tunnel vision, but like they're taught, you know, like they had big experiences in the past that then led them to seeing themselves that way. And that's just the story that they've been telling for a really long time. And it's, it's like, it's, it's continuing. And so as they continue to tell that story, they're basically saying that they want their future to be exactly the same way their past is like, because they're so owning this story, like it's far more powerful to actually first off, start with your future identity and actually say, who do I truly want to be? Rather than saying, who am I? Being like, I'm an introvert, extrovert, extra, you know, whatever it is. Like the number one deathbed regret for people, and this, this has been heavily studied, is that people regret that they didn't have the courage to be the person they really wanted to be. And instead they, they lived their life the way that they thought others expected them to be like, that's consistently the number one death better graph people. And like, so a part of that is like, if you take the time to think of who your future self is and you're, you're, you're just dead honest with yourself, like, who do I really want to be? Like, what do I want my situation to be like? What would be insanely powerful for you or for anyone is after you are honest about what you really want, than to begin telling people that that's what you want and telling people that's what you're going to go for. And that's who you're going to be. Like if you start telling people that mm-hmm. rather than saying, this is who I am, <laughs> because you're pretty much then saying, okay, this is how you should expect me to be in the future. It's like, but if you start telling people about, you know, shifting the narrative so that it's more future focused versus overly present or past focused, and you start telling people, this is what I'm going to go for. This is who I'm going to be. First off, it creates like to some degree accountability it also quickly separates like who's going to support you and encourage you and who will not. It also gives you a sense of identity because like now you're speaking clearly about what you genuinely honestly want versus trying to show up how other people expect you to, or how you've been consistent in the past. And so it's like, it's so powerful to start telling people what you genuinely want. 
it also invites people to go on the journey with you. So like you said, if it's, you know, if it's someone who's there to support you, you know, I'm even in looking at influencers, I get so excited with, for the people that I follow when they say, this is what I want to do, who I want to be. These are changes I want to make, whatever that is. It just makes it so much more, that person so much more relatable and hugely, you're hugely. so curious. They're yeah. being honest. They're being exactly. honest about what they want. Like they're saying, I'm not there yet, which is like, which is so cool. It's that whole Gilbert quote, you know, human beings are working works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. It's like, yes, like that's, that's, that's not what we want. Like instead it's just like, no, this is what I want. And I'm not there yet. Like I'm not my future self yet, but like, this is what I'm going for. Will you come on this journey with me? And you'll get to watch. Like that's, what's actually another thing that's fun is that when you tell people where you're going, they get to watch you change. If you don't tell them where you're going, they're going to assume that you're the same person you were five years ago. Right. Exactly. Which is very non-interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, well, I, well, no, I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to watch someone trying and growing. Like it's fun to watch someone trying to build a business and like you can support them along that journey. Like it's fun to watch someone trying to do something that, that they're not there yet on. Like, cause we're all in a state of development. So it's like, why pretend like we're, we got it all figured out? Why pretend right. like we, we are who we are? Like, why pretend like we evolved and we're done changing? Like, why not just own that? Like, you're going somewhere and you're not there yet. And when you get there, then you'll go somewhere else. Exactly. Hey, everyone. Did you know that for a limited time, I'm teaching free live webinars on why your marketing isn't working and how to fix it? In it, I'll be teaching the five-part marketing plan that will increase your revenue, save you a ton of hours, and get you feeling confident that you are using marketing that is growing your business. You can find out more information at www.thedrawshop.com forward slash marketing. That's www.thedrawshop.com forward slash marketing, and you can pick a time that works for you. All right, back to the episode. So speaking of which, if you're, you are wanting to change and you are wanting to make these radical changes, what are, what are some of the most effective ways to do that? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really all kind of built around the past and the future. Like, obviously there's a lot of potentially un, unresolved trauma from the past. Like what they say is, is that trauma, you know, trauma makes personality into a coping mechanism if you haven't resolved it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And you can see that you can see, I've seen that in other people. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And so that's actually a quote from Gabor Mate. You know, basically it's the idea that like, you know, if if you have unresolved trauma, then your person, your current personality is a coping mechanism to like avoiding or not dealing with it. And then that leads you to, that's one of the ways that you be overly consistent over time is because you, you, your life's a pattern of like (laughs) making the same mistake or like going, you know, and so I think one big one is obvious. So obviously a starting point would be like, who do you genuinely want to be? Like the future self, like framing out that future identity and like moving forward. But also it's really, really important, you know, because I think all of us have formerly negative experiences to, to reframe even our former identity. Like, you know, like if you've had bad experiences in the past, like it's really, it's important to know that first off, memory is flexible. Memory is fluid. Like memory is not an objective filing cabinet. It's actually... Like you always reconstruct your memories based on your present self. And so like your, pre- your present is really more a reflection of what, what your past is. And when you change your present perspective or present context, your past is going to look differently. And so your memory always changes every time you, every time you look at it, even if the changes are subtle. Like, 
And so it's important to like resolve any issues that are currently driving you. Like it's the past is best if it's information that you can use rather than emotion. Like if the past is still emotion rather than information, then it means that it's still driving your decision-making. And so you want to resolve that emotion. So like when something negative happens, you have an initial reaction. So like they call that primary emotion. The goal is to have a secondary emotion, which is that you resolve it. Like that's called emotional regulation. Often that doesn't happen for people. And instead they have a primary or an initial reaction. Something bad happened. That then turns into a story or what's called a cognitive commitment. So like they then form a narrative about themselves in the world based on that event. And then that shapes how they view themselves in the world and it shapes their goals and their life. And like, you don't want your initial reaction to certain things to be the determining factor for how you see the world. Like, and so you need help. So like Peter Levine, he wrote a book called Waking the Tiger, Healing Trauma. He's one of the best experts on trauma. And he said that trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so think about this. You know, so first off, trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. And so like, there's a big, there's a big, you know, a lot of research on what's called math trauma. You know, a lot of kids in the US have math trauma. They, and math trauma is essentially the belief that you can't do math. And it springs from some event that occurred, you know, whether it was you were told you're not good at math, you failed a test and something happened and you internalized it. You know, like it was a bad, you had an initial reaction, you failed a test or something bad happened. And then the cognitive commitment comes. I'm not good at math. And that's basically what's called a fixed mindset. But when you, so that's why they say that trauma shatters imagination. It also shatters confidence. Cause once you, if you've, if you've bought into this initial narrative that you can't do math and therefore you have no imagination in math and you don't believe you can do it, then why would you do it? You'd go do something else. But if you had an empathetic witness there, if you had someone to help you reframe it, I'm not saying you should go be good at math, but anyone could learn math if they had enough coaching and guidance and encouragement and for reframing, it's like, you can do this. Like, it's okay if you failed, you know, like that's actually why they say you're as sick as your secrets. That's an Alcoholics Anonymous thing, but it's like, if you don't get help with the trauma, if you don't, or anything that happened to you in the past that shaped your current views, if, if you're, if you've isolated it or if you've internalized it and you're not talking about it and getting it reframed, then it's a secret. And anything that's a secret, you know, you're as sick as your secrets. It leads to, problems, addictions, et cetera. So I think there's a few big things here. One is you need to reframe former experiences and even your relationship with your former self. Like I actually talk a lot about Tucker Max in the book, you know, cause obviously he's a big example. <laughs> like, yes, yes. You know, the guy who wrote, you know, I hope they serve beer in hell and stuff like that. Like, yep. you know, it's interesting how different he is now, but what's important about Tucker, he's done a lot of therapy and stuff like that. He's talked about it and he's very open about it. He's not hidden about it. He's not shy about it. He's not embarrassed about it. Like He's open about it. First off, he doesn't relate with his former self. But second off, he's not angry or bitter about his former self. He has compassion. He's got increased perspective. First off, because he's not his former self, but he's got a better context and understanding that's like, I can understand why that guy made those mistakes. Like even myself, like when I was writing this book, actually, I, and even in the past, me and my dad are very good friends. Like he's, I think I already mentioned it. Like he's not a drug addict anymore, but like he and I exercise a lot together. But one of the things that I did when I was writing this book is I asked him a ton of questions about his perspective on that period of our lives. Like, you know, what led you to, you know, doing that? And like, how did all this happen? And like, what did it, what did it feel like when our, like we all like abandoned you and like just getting his perspective. And when you have more context, you have incredible empathy and understanding. Like it's, 
if you're judgmental towards something, it's probably because you don't understand it, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's like, but, and so having compassion and empathy towards your former self and, and letting it go or forgiving them, or even towards the people who, who may have hurt you. Like if you get some context, it's like if someone cuts you off on the road and you realize, well, there's a reason why they're, they're speeding. Like all of a sudden you can let it go. Like, and so you need to, you need to face it. You need to talk about it. You could journal about it. Journaling so big, but getting more perspective and then framing it in a positive way. Like how would my future self feel about this experience or, Mm -hmm. or how should they feel about this experience? Or like, you know, what, what good came of this or like what, what good could come from this? Or like, if I really learned from this and didn't, you know, like how could I use this to make sure it never happens again? You know, like, you know, you can turn the past into information. Like when you expose yourself to something enough, the novelty wears off, the emotion wears off. It becomes information, not emotion. And then you yes. like frame it and contextualize it. And then I would lastly say, story tell it the right way. Story tell your past from a positive perspective that everything that occurred happened for you, not to you. And then you, your past could be something that, that is positive, even no matter what you went through, rather than something that is still this like, you know, like sliver in your side that's like leading you to be the person you are. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I love, I love this so much. We're going to have this all listed out in our show notes, plus all of the amazing authors that you've mentioned too, because there's so many good ones. You know, it's funny. I do that even in just a situation. So like, say you're in a a challenging situation or you're like, I'm really unhappy about this right now. I don't like how this is going. I will, I'm a huge journaler. I mean, I journal everything. Like as soon as I feel upset, I'm like, gotta go write, gotta go write it out. And I will say, how can this turn into something awesome? If I could wave this magic wand, how could it turn into something amazing instead of being troubled by it? And it's, it's once you just like switch that in your brain and you start to tell a different story instead of going down, you know, that, oh my gosh, it's going to be horrible. Everything's going to fall apart. (laughs) You really do start to realize possibilities and you start to think differently. Well, I mean, I love that about you. (laughs) I mean, no, like what you're saying is so, so smart. Basically, so that's called emotional regulation. So basically you have a primary emotion or an initial reaction. The secondary emotion should be like your intentional framing of it. And like journaling is one of the smartest ways to do that. Like if you're caught up in the emotions, which is totally normal, you should never judge your initial reaction. Like if you're overwhelmed, if you're angry, if you're shocked, like there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is when you don't, you don't actually have a proactive approach to dealing with it. So Mm -hmm. like the journaling, like, so this is one of the big reasons why like your emotional development as a person very much determines how much your personality will be flexible and, and, and changing over time. Like if you're not emotionally developed and if you don't know how to handle emotions and stuff like that, then you're going to get slammed by things a lot harder and you're going to become like rigid, like the, like trauma is psychological rigidity. Like the way to learning and growth is called psychological flexibility. And so like what you're saying is like one of the most researched backed ways to handle it. And like, once you actually write about what you're dealing with, you can start to think about it and process it differently. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And you can then have a conversation around it or you can think about it or you can do something about it rather than just like having fog confuse you. Love that. So true. I'm curious, what kind of feedback have you, have you gotten? From this book? Yes. My goodness. I think that, you know, people, so this book was, I, I probably did 30 extra drafts on this book than I did on Willpower Doesn't Work. Um, yeah. This I had to push the pub date back twice. I, re- I really, so people definitely who read the book are shocked by it in a positive way. 
there's obviously a lot of explanations that kind of unwind at the seams, a lot of typical perspectives of personality. And then there's just, I think generally it's, it's incredibly positive. Like, I mean, I had my 80 year old mother and I mean, grandmother-in-law read it and she loved it, you know? And, oh, that's and so, so cool. yeah. And so, I, I mean, obviously I don't know if I've gotten a ton of negative feedback. I, I think that once this book hits the shelves, you know, and like, I mean, personality tests again are a $2 billion industry. Like this book is going to get slammed, but yeah, overwhelmingly people who are interested in growth and learning and stuff like that. Like, I think that this book is top of class and I think people, people really love it. And I can't wait for you to read it. I, I, I think we I got you. Wait. Did we get your PDF? Yes. Yes. I just Good. got it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm already just, just the topic alone. And just the little bit that I have read is came as a relief to me. I mean, my honest, like first reaction was, oh my gosh, this is such a relief. It yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, you know, and I imagine, yeah, you're like you said, because that it is such a huge industry, you could get slammed, but isn't every important topic that comes out, doesn't it get slammed? I mean, isn't that just part of Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy with that. Like one of the yeah. things that, um, one of the things that, so like, you know, often like if like a band, for example, like sometimes, sometimes like if someone listens to someone's music, they really like, like their old stuff, but not their new stuff. You know what I mean? Yes. And like, I think like with a lot of the people who I loved reading their stuff, like five years ago, I've been slightly disappointed that they like stopped pushing their thinking. Like their thinking became a little bit more like, like mainstream. And so like, I, I'm not saying my thinking's gotten better, although I actually think it has, like, it's kind of funny. Like when I read willpower doesn't work, I recently went through it again. Like I'm not, it, the current Benjamin Hardy would not have written willpower doesn't work. Not that I disagree with it. I actually like the book, but I wouldn't have written it today. Like there's a quote at the beginning of personality isn't permanent that says a painting is never finished. It simply ends in interesting places. Oh, so right. Cool. I love it's that. actually the opposite of the other quote, which is like human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. Like the truth is, is that like, you know, a painting is never finished. It simply ends in interesting places. Like that's how I look at anything creative. Like willpower doesn't work was never finished. It just ended in some weird place. Like it just ended in a place because I had, to, we had to publish it. Like this is the same book, like personalities and permanent is done. It's never finished. And like future Benjamin Hardy is going to look at things quite differently. And like, I, I welcome that. Like that was actually one of the big things that stopped me from writing so much sooner. Like I, I didn't write, I started writing in 2015 and I think I would have written sooner, but I, I was worried about myself writing things that were wrong. I didn't want to write things that were wrong. And now I just realize like, that's impossible not to do. If you're learning and growing and like, it's okay. Like, like I like the idea, like be anxiously engaged in a good cause. So like do your best, like do your best with where you're at. And it's okay if in the future you, 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 you're not the same person as you were before. Like when I read old blog posts, I'm like, I wouldn't have said that today, <laughs> but it's okay. It's so true. I thought that I thought that myself, and I think it really holds people back from putting content out there that they, in the moment, like is you know really speaks to them and is important to them because they are worried about well, what if it turns out to be quote unquote wrong? You know, yeah. if this doesn't turn yeah. out to be the right thing. But the thing is, is that when you are like you're doing, people again, people are on that journey with you. So it's like you're you're teaching them, but you're also learning along the way and you're sharing with them. So two years from now, you might have something that's a little bit different or expands on that. And it, you might say, Oh, I would have said that differently, but that's to me, that's the whole beauty of it. Cause how could you possibly have something that's just 
completely right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, ha- and how could you be so like fully evolved? Like if that's the case and like, what's the point? Like then what's the point of being here? <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, you're done. Wow. Like you made it. What's it like? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's just, I, I, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's uninteresting too. When it, if it's just totally like done, finished, that's it. Yep. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. I'm so excited for the book. Where will people be able to find this book? Yes. Assuming that bookstores still exist. And right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can definitely find it in bookstores, but obviously you can find it on Amazon, Audible, Barnes & Noble, basically anywhere on the internet that sells books. My website's benjaminhardy.com. And you know, you can read blog posts there, but there's also like free giveaways, you know, for people who buy the book, there's lots of goodies. So yeah. Uh, you know, in whatever way you like reading books or listening to them, this book is there. Fantastic. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This was so incredibly fascinating. I'm excited to have you back on in. I would love to be on again. Like yes. you, read, you read the book after you read it, you may have other questions. We oh, can do round totally. two. Let's yes. do round two whenever. I mean, I, I, I love talking to you. I love your, just like your fun energy and just, I don't know. It's, oh. it's it, plus we just have like lots of mutual connection. So I mean, just whenever you want to talk again, I would love it. Absolutely. It's on for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already done so, would you do me a favor and go subscribe and review this podcast? My goal is to continue to deliver you content that will really move the revenue needle in your business and give you up-to-date content on anything else that can dramatically help your business. You can also find us at thedrawshop.com slash podcast, where you can comment on the podcast or contact us directly with any issues you'd like me to address. Thanks again. I really, really appreciate you listening and I'll see you next time.